Father, we, we worship you this morning with the very voices that you have given us. We have sung your praise. And now, Father, with everything within us, our minds, our hearts, our souls, let us dine and feast upon your word. I pray, Lord, that by your word you would speak, that you will speak by your Holy Spirit, that you will minister to us this morning, that you will teach us the truth of your word. And Lord, that you would lead us in all righteousness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the book of James. We began our study last week in James, and uh, we will continue walking through James. We'll be in chapter 1 this morning, beginning in verse 5. The title of the message this morning, if you uh, are following along in your worship guide, uh, there's an outline that's provided there for you, and the title of the message is The Progress of Christian Maturity. The progress of Christian maturity and the progress of Christian maturity comes through wisdom. Last week we looked at the path of Christian maturity in verses 1 through 4, which involves growing pains, we said. And now the progress of Christian maturity this morning, I I want us to see that it, it calls for wisdom in our life. As believers in Christ, as we're going to grow, if we're going to grow in Christ, if we're going to progress in our walk with Christ and developing and growing in Christian maturity, then it's going to call for us to grow in wisdom and to gain wisdom. And so James has a word for us this morning as we begin in verse 5. Read with me. If you find your place, say amen. Let's read together. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now in verses 2 through 4, last week we learned that trials teach us to have a proper perspective. He said, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials in verse, uh, in verse 2. And then we learned as well in verses 3 and 4 that, that trials perfect us in the midst of this process. And, and so as we walk through these trials, we are, we are perfected in the process of going through trials That is, that these trials we encounter, they really are the tools that God uses to shape us and and to fit us into our eternal dwelling, into our heavenly home. These trials, we said, well, they they, they come in various shapes and and sizes. They come in, in different forms and in different ways. And at times, these trials, they're brought on, well, they're brought on by our own disobedience. But then there are also times when these trials are not brought on by our disobedience. Rather, it, it seems that these trials come, come upon us through, through no fault of our own. But whatever the case, whatever the situation, we find ourselves in the recipe for progress toward Christian maturity and growing in Christian maturity, James tells us, is wisdom. Wisdom from God. This is the wisdom. This is what God desires us to do as we progress in our Christian maturity. It is to come to him and seek wisdom. And so this morning, as we consider the progress of Christian maturity, 
which is the call to wisdom. First, I want us to see the need for wisdom. Now, we might say, well, we've got a lot of different, we have a lot of different uh, definitions for what wisdom is, but I want us to see first how James speaks about wisdom and, and how he says, or why he says, we need wisdom. Really, the need for wisdom is assumed even in the title of the, the message. It, it takes wisdom to progress in our Christian maturity. And without wisdom, we simply won't progress as disciples of Christ. We won't grow as disciples of Christ. And if we're wise, if we are wise, we learn the need for wisdom as we walk through trials, as verses 2 through 4 teach us. So the question is, what, what is wisdom? Is it knowledge? Is wisdom simply knowledge? Do we, do we gain wisdom by, by reading books? Do we grow in wisdom uh, by reading and, and, uh, and doing a lot of reading, ha- having uh, more books that we read than anyone else? Is, is wisdom centered around being technologically advanced, right? Uh, the computers these days and the smartphones and everything. I mean, is that, does that make us wise, being able to navigate uh, these technological advances and, and the, uh, just the advances in, in, in modern-day computers? Does wisdom come through the things that we do and the experiences we have? Does wisdom come as we get older? Are, are we to grow in wisdom through our experience? Is that what James is speaking about here? And the answer really to all of these is no, not necessarily. Not even as we grow older. That, that's not an automatic recipe for growing in wisdom. Wisdom is not determined by the color of our hair, right? As, as we get older, we tend to gray. That's not necessarily what determines wisdom in our lives either. It's not determined uh, by the life experiences that we walk through. Rather, James has a different approach to determining what wisdom is. In fact, it's kind of like Job. Well, Job asked the same question or a similar question in, in, in Job chapter 28 when he says in verse 12, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me, and the sea says it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It can't be valued in the gold of Ophir or the precious onyx of sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is far above that of pearls. Verse 23, God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and and meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. See, this question about what is wisdom has been around for ages past. 
and it continues to be a question that we revisit. It's a question that the early church, that James is encouraging the early church to, to, to discern and to seek out what is wisdom. And so James says that wisdom is a couple of things, and I, I want to show you in verse 5. First thing James says wisdom is, he says that wisdom is a gift. It's a gift from God. Look in verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. It's a gift that comes from God. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all. This giving, this gift of God, it is wisdom that he desires to give to all. And so then, if wisdom is a gift of God, then it can't be earned. It's not something we work to develop in our lives. It, it's instead, it, it, it's attained through faith. You see, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously. And then he answers, and it will be given to him. See, godly wisdom is to be distinguished from the wisdom of the world. Scripture clearly distinguishes godly wisdom from the wisdom of the world. In 1 Corinthians 1.19, uh, which quotes from Isaiah 29.14, 29, and Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of discerning I will thwart. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You see, here's what wisdom is, according to James. Wisdom is discerning God's hand at work in our lives through trials, seeking God's will, and then walking accordingly. Wisdom is discerning God's hand at work in our lives, seeking God's will through our trials, and then walking accordingly. John Stott said it this way in his commentary. He said, the wise person will be able to see life as James has pictured it in verses 2 through 4, able to make personal decisions and to shape life's pathway so as to enjoy the progress towards maturity which he has promised such wisdom is a gift from God. You see, it's clear the need for wisdom in the life of the believer is, is so that we might navigate and understand the trials that we walk through. He says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. But if anyone lacks wisdom, in other words, if anyone lacks the knowledge and the the understanding of how to walk through this trial and how to see God's hand in the midst of it, what does he say to do? Ask God. Ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. So first and foremost, the wisdom is a gift from God. It's not something that we earn. It's something that's given. This is great news. It's great news for the believer that I can have God's wisdom to walk through this trial right in the midst of the trial that I'm going through. It's great news that when I don't understand everything that's going on around me in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this difficult season or this temptation, I can ask and come to God with faith and he will supply the wisdom that I need to walk through this trial. 
We can count on it. We can trust in it. He does this. This is the way that God works. This is who God is. This is consistent with the character of God. So first, it is that he, he gives. It is a gift of God. The second thing I want you to see about wisdom characteristic or, or, or implication is that wisdom is to be prayed for. Not only is it a gift, he, he says that we are to ask for it. This is to be let him ask of God. This is a strong language. It's the force of an imperative in, in the New Testament. And so it, it, it's as if we come to God with such a request of one asking. I, I'm asking, but with a claim to receiving what I'm asking for. Let him ask of God. It involves knowing that God will grant wisdom to those who ask, who come to him with this petition. It's for those of us who are parents. It's kind of like uh, when, when my child comes to me and my child is in great need and, and ask me, Daddy, will you teach me how to do this or will you teach me how to do that? And you see, these are words that parents love to hear. Teach me. I, I want to learn. And I think especially as our children get older go through teenage years, even into early adulthood, uh, Dad, teach me. I, I need to know, right? To impart to me some of your wisdom. It's the same thing here with the relationship with God, that we as His children, we come to Him praying, petitioning Him, asking, God, give me your wisdom. Teach me. I, I don't know what's going on here in the midst. I don't know why I'm walking through this trial and instead of saying things like, I just want to be done, get me out of this mess, James says, ask of God who gives wisdom generously and without reproach. He grants us wisdom that we would learn, that we would grow in discerning and understanding the difficult trial that we're walking through so that we might know God more. So wisdom is a gift. It is to be prayed for and, and asked for. It, we, we come before God with a, a faith-filled, holy petition that we long to, uh, to know His will and long to, uh, to walk with Him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If... You then who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to him who asks? You know the implication there? I'm the one who's evil, yet know how to give good gifts to my children. How much more, our Heavenly Father, does he know how to give good gifts to us as his children? If we being evil, if me... Uh, me, being an evil father, know how to good, give good gifts to my children. How much more should I expect that my gracious, holy father knows how to give good gifts? So when I come to him and say, Lord, I'm walking through this trial. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know how to make it or I'm struggling with this temptation and I, I don't want to fall into temptation. Give me the wisdom, God, to get out of this. Give me the wisdom to know how to 
how to get out of this trial, out of this struggle. Give me the wisdom to know how to walk through and depend upon you, maybe we should say. So it is a gift. It is a gift that we ought to pray for. This is defining wisdom. But the second question that we consider is, how do we gain wisdom? Well, we've, we've looked at that really already in some degree through this petition, this prayer. We are to ask of God, and how we gain wisdom is, is through this faith-filled prayer. Let him ask of God. It's for this reason that Luther deemed this verse as, quote, one of the best verses of this epistle. I think the reason why is because inherent in this verse is the truth that faith is the essential substance of prayer. Think about it. How can we come before God asking for wisdom without having faith that he's going to provide it? In fact, if we don't have faith that God's going to provide the wisdom that we need, then the reality is we won't receive the wisdom from God in order to walk through these trials or these temptations that we walk through that we face and so we don't come to God I want to be clear on this we don't come to God hoping that he hears us hoping that he hears our prayer instead we come to God expecting that he hears us and not only that he hears us but that he answers us according to his good pleasing and perfect will this is how God responds to his children this is how God blesses his children And so to clear up any doubt, it's always, always God's will for you and for me in Christ Jesus that he grant us wisdom when we as his children ask him in faith. But you know, that's the hard part sometimes, isn't it? That we ask in faith. I mean, we want to understand. We want to depend upon God and exercise that faith. But sometimes we're like, uh, we're like the father who comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 9 uh, who, who, who wants his son to be healed and he tells Jesus, if you can heal him. And Jesus says, if you can. In other words, of course I can. But you've got to believe. You've got to have faith. Now, I'm, I'm not claiming here that uh, everyone who's sick or has a terminal illness will be healed just by a prayer of faith. But what I am saying is that we must have faith in God when we come before him asking him for wisdom to walk through the trials that we are walking through. And so the next question I want us to consider is, what is God's character as the giver of wisdom? What is God's character as the giver of wisdom? How do we gain wisdom? Well, we gain it through faith-filled petition or prayer. Wisdom is understanding God's direction and hand in our life and his will so that we might walk accordingly. God's character as the giver of wisdom. We we need to see this. First off, we need to see that God's character is that he is faithful. In verse 5, it says that he will give to all generously and without reproach. That word generously, it means freely or or liberally, graciously. It means without hesitation. So the picture is I, I come to my dad, I come to my father, or we come to God, and we 
we bring this petition before him and without hesitation, God supplies the wisdom that his children need. Without hesitation, without a second thought, God grants the wisdom in order to walk through the trial. He hears us and is ready at a moment's notice to grant the petition of his children. You see, with God, there's no hesitation. He doesn't ride the fence for a little while. There, there isn't a second thought. He grants wisdom. So God is faithful. But not only is God God's character that he is faithful, he's also gracious. It says he, he, he does it generously and without reproach. You see, God doesn't, he doesn't criticize. He doesn't find fault with his children. You know, I'm so glad God's not up in heaven. And did you see what Nick did? You see that, that bonehead move? He, you see what he's thinking? You understand his thought? You, you know what he's thinking. Why is he thinking that? Because the reality is, when our faith wavers, we're like the doubter that he talks about in verses 6, 7, and 8. But I'm so glad God's nature is that he is faithful when we come to him by faith, asking for wisdom to walk through, that he graciously gives it without hesitation, without a second thought. He simply lavishes it upon us. Because there are times when we walk through trials and circumstances in life where we, in our faith, begin to waver. And the counsel of James is that we would come before God, considering it joy and praying like the man in Mark chapter 9, I I believe, Lord, help me believe. Right? I have faith, Lord, increase my faith. Help me to trust you. Help me to depend upon you. You know, God's, contrary to, to how some people view God, God's not in heaven waiting Uh, waiting for us to mess up so that he can just strike us with discipline. This goes against the very nature of who God is. No, God is gracious. He is long-suffering. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is a gracious God. He is faithful and he is gracious. You know, I, I think sometimes we have trouble processing this nature of God's character. And I think the reason is because, especially as it pertains to this passage, that he would do so without hesitation, without a a second thought. We have trouble processing this because we know ourselves. I, I know me, and I know how flaky I can be sometimes. I know how how I can waver sometimes, oftentimes. And it shows us the stark contrast between the faithfulness and the graciousness of God and the faithlessness and the oscillating nature that often accompanies my faith, our faith. You see, in God we have the picture-perfect example of perfection and how He acts toward us in redeeming us in exercising grace toward us, and exercising His his faithfulness in our lives. And so what's He say? But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who gives to all generously and without reproach. There is no finding fault here for the one who comes by faith before God with the faith-filled petition. But thirdly, in understanding the character of God as the giver of wisdom, I want you to know that God does not disappoint. Look, he says, it will be given to him. God does not disappoint his children. God doesn't disappoint us. If, in fact, if you felt disappointed or let down by God in the past, let me assure you that it's not because God has let you down. It's not because God has let us down. Rather, I submit to you that it's because we have walked away, we have doubted, we have not approached God in faith. And so understand that as God's children, as children, we are called to come to him in faith. Well, verse 5 shows us the reason we need wisdom. I think verses 6 through 8 show us who the recipient of this wisdom is, as if we really need to ask the question, who is the recipient of this wisdom? As we read in verse 6, it says, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. There really isn't any guesswork as to who the recipient of wisdom is in this passage. James provides us with really two very different people. One is the man or the woman of faith, right? The other is the doubter. And I think it's very instructive for us because these are people who are in the church. Think about it. James is writing to the church. And like James, like the ones that James writes to, we're no different in wanting to be men and women of faith, but also struggling in the midst of the trials that we walk through. So often we find ourselves like doubters. Like Thomas, who after the risen Lord comes to him, says, Lord, just let me, let me touch in your wounds, right? Or like Peter, who steps out of the boat by faith and begins to walk on water till he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink and has to cry out, Lord, save me. We all too often are like those examples in Scripture where we begin doubting in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of tough seasons, and so we've experienced and we've seen so much in our, in our relationship with Christ and walking by faith, yet we, too, take our eyes off of Jesus. And so the answer to the recipient of wisdom is connected to verse 5. It's continued here in verse 6. It's the one who comes and who asks in faith. Faith must characterize the petition of the one who asks for wisdom. And if faith doesn't characterize our coming before him and asking for wisdom, then we read verse 7, for, we, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. You see, he must ask without any doubting. It's like Hebrews eleven six, where he says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him and so we see that we are to come before God without any doubting and that really has to do with a wholehearted commitment that we come before God with a a single focus a single heart not a divided 
heart. We don't approach God as some magical formula. It's not just a ritualistic prayer that we pray in the midst of tough times. It's not an empty prayer that we that we pray that we hope to gain a divine blessing. No, this is a prayer offered in faith. It's one that we come before God in faith, knowing that he hears our prayer. You know, Paul speaks of this kind of faith in Romans chapter four. Beginning in verse 18, where he talks about Abraham and he says, in hope, in hope against hope, he believed, speaking of Abraham, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated this in his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. You see, this is the kind of faith that Abraham models as the patriarch. It's the one that doesn't waver, but the faith that comes before God, trusting in his provision, trusting in his goodness, and it is without doubt. So there is this, this contrast between the man and the woman of faith and the doubter that we see in verses 6 through 8. And the doubter that we see in verses 6 through 8, particularly in verse 8, is characterized in two ways. The first one is that he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded man first, and then secondly, he's unstable in all his ways this double-minded man speaks of, of one whose loyalty is divided between two things. And so James is telling us that this doubter is attempting to live on the one hand in serving God and on the other hand in the world. And James says it cannot happen. It's like Augustine in his prayer when he prays. It, it really catches the sentiment of the being double-minded. He prays this. He says, Lord, give me purity, but not yet. You've heard that before? Lord, give me purity, but not yet. And I think a lot of times this is kind of how we approach walking in holiness and in purity with God. You see, the doubter's allegiance is divided between lust and temptation and then the will of God. It's like what he says later in verse 12 of James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Right? Perseverance under trial. But listen, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You see, this double-minded man, this doubter this double-minded woman this doubter is the one who approaches God with a lack of faith doesn't trust God in everything doesn't depend upon God with all that he or she has this doubter is characterized as being double-minded literally as being too sold unstable in all his ways the caricature of the doubter's life is that he or she oscillates between two poles in all conduct and when trials come, this one breaks under pressure. The doubter is the one who is characterized as 
reproach as a reproach before God. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything before the Lord. Verse 6 characterizes him as being tossed about like the surf of the sea, blown by the winds, driven and tossed by the wind. You know, when I was a child, I remember going fishing. Uh, as we'd go fishing, we'd put our boat in. I uh, grew up in Homa, and uh, we had a small boat. It's this little yellow. I called it the banana boat as I grew older. It was this yellow boat. It was about 14 feet. It was a little tide craft. Uh, it was a, uh, a fiberglass boat, and just wasn't very big. Well, we'd, we'd put in out of Homa, and we'd go down a, a, a canal called Miner's Canal. Some of you might know. We'd cross intercoastal. We'd continue down Miner's Canal. We'd get into Lake Decad. Uh, we'd, we'd cross Lake Decad, hoping to catch fish. And one particular day, as we were crossing Lake Decad, we got to our spot. We started fishing. And all of a sudden, like, like can happen, oftentimes a big storm just kind of comes up and uh, just engulfs us. Uh, and... Boy, Dad, well, we put the fishing poles down, and Dad cranked the boat, and uh, we started out across Lake Decad. And if any of you have ever been in Lake Decad, when, uh, when it, a storm came up, it's kind of a shallow lake, but, man, the waves can just get huge. And so we're in this little yellow banana boat, and uh, we're kind of floating around like a cork. I mean, just getting hit by the waves, and I'm a, little, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm maybe, maybe 10 years old, and... Uh, maybe even younger than that, and I, was, I just remember being scared to death. To this day, one of the greatest fears in my life is to sink a boat, all right? Um, but I, I still enjoy going on the boat. So we, uh, we, were in, we were in the boat, and we're kind of being tossed about to and from, and waves coming from every different direction. That's kind of the, the description here of the doubter like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And so as we're in this boat, and I'm scared, I'm looking out at the waves, and Dad sees I'm getting more and more scared. I'm about to freak out. And, uh, and so he, he says, get down in the front on the, on the floorboard in front of the console. And so I do. He says, all right, cover yourself with this poncho. I mean, because it's raining. And, Dad, you know, the, the rain's stinging my face and my eyes. And uh, so I get down there. I put the con the, the poncho over me and I'm just kind of sitting there and uh, he says now just stay under the poncho and you'll be fine and of course I'd, I'd be tempted every now and then to see where we are so I'd look up and I'd see the waves and I'd get scared again and put the poncho down and, uh, and as, we, uh, as we kept going he, he finally he got us through he navigated us through the, uh, the, the wind and the rain and the, 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 the high waves that I thought were going to engulf the boat When I reflect back and, and see what Dad was trying to do for me was he was he was trying to shelter me from the things that would uh, that would cause me uh, fear and that would cause me to struggle and maybe lack trust that he was going to bring us through and that we weren't going to sink. So he's just trying to shelter me in that, and if I just listened to him, I'd have been fine. If if I wouldn't have kept peeking, you know, I'd have been okay. You know, as we make it through the storm, as we make it through the, uh, the raging sea there, uh, the raging lake, rather, I should say, uh, it, was, it was okay once we got back into the canal. But we were in the middle of it. It was a pretty scary thing. And he said, just keep the poncho over you and you'll be fine. 
I want to submit to you that as we walk through trials and difficult seasons in life, as we walk through very real heartache and struggle, we seek out God's wisdom. And there are some things, and sometimes when he kind of pulls the veil back and we can see a little bit more about the problems that we're going through and understand just a little bit better the details. And then there are other times when he just gives us enough to walk. Well, he, he always just gives us enough. He gives us enough wisdom to make it step by step, moment by moment. He gives us enough wisdom to lead us as we need to be led. And so I want to challenge us this morning. Are, are we, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficult times, are we trusting in God and coming to Him and asking for His wisdom? Are we seeking out His wisdom? And so the real question this morning is this. How, how do we then move from being doubters to being men and women of faith? Because we identify that we all have struggles and doubts. But how do we move to being men and women of faith? And I want to suggest two things as we close. And the first one is this. That we focus on the character of God. That we focus on the character of God. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The character of God is that he is faithful, that he is gracious, that he never disappoints. So if we're going to move from being doubters to being those who walk in faith, we, we must trust and focus on the character of God. But secondly, I want to encourage you to trust in, in the promise of God. And the promise of God, as we see here, is that he must ask in faith without any doubting. And the one who asks in faith, he says, it will be given to him. I think it's a natural reaction when we walk through trials and um, difficulty. When we walk through hard seasons, that we just want to say, God, get me out of this. Let me be done with this. But I want to challenge you to take James' word, the word that God gives us here this morning, and say, God, give me wisdom to walk through this. Give me wisdom to depend upon you, to follow you, and to walk through this trial. And then ask it in faith, not just hoping that God grants the wisdom, but claiming that God hears our request, we know, we know that God wants to grant us this wisdom, so we ask in faith that God gives us the wisdom to walk through this trial. I don't know uh, what trials have gone on in your life, what trial is, a, is happening in your life. Maybe you're not even going through a season of struggle. But I want to challenge you this morning. Are you asking God for wisdom? Are you asking God to lead you in wisdom? I'm going to close this in prayer this morning.
And, uh, and as I do, I just want to challenge you to make that your prayer, that God will lead you and that you'll seek out his wisdom, that you come. And, and, and maybe your prayer needs to be, um, God, increase my faith. I believe, but help me to believe more. Let us pray. Father, we, um, we come to you this morning.